noticed that things look a little different here. We've got this. This was my old, like really, really old pulpit from like, like probably, like, I don't know, like 10 years ago. It was like, this old. And so, you, so we have this, you know, we don't normally, things look a little bit different. The reason things look different uh, is because this is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Uh, and uh, we actually found this really, I think, I think cool way of kind of honoring Dr. King. Not just honoring Dr. King, but, but saying that, you know what, you know, as far as the kingdom of God is concerned and, and, and everything that we're about and what we're preaching about, like, like we want to see God's justice. We want to see uh, God overcoming, you know, all of the evils that are in this world, the evils of racism, the evils of injustice, the evils of oppression. Uh, they want to see people come into the personal freedom that can only happen through Jesus. And, and so we just think it's important for us to, to acknowledge Dr. King and acknowledge the way that the Lord used him. And so we would always do a little something. Uh, and then a few years ago, Pastor Charles came to me and he said, you know, you know, Phil, I used to do, I've done this thing where I've taken a, a message of Dr. King's and kind of come out in character as, as Dr. King and just delivered this message, you know, as, as Dr. King. And I said, that sounds great. Let's give that a shot. Let's do that. And so that was a few years ago and it's been, it's been wonderful. And, and so that's kind of now our new kind of annual tradition that we do. Now, the thing about, you know, Reverend King uh, is that we, we know of him, you know, in lots of different ways, but we certainly know the speech that he gave on the mall in Washington, D.C., the I Have a Dream speech. Maybe you've read or studied uh, the letter from a Birmingham jail. But what we don't realize is that he wasn't just Dr. Martin Luther King. He was Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. He was a pastor. And so he was a pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, um, up until he was assassinated. He was, a, he was a local church pastor. And so he preached lots of sermons. And so that you realize, you know, um, the messages that he preached, you realize what was driving his ministry, that it was coming from this understanding of, of the kingdom of God and the, the justice and righteousness that comes through Jesus. And uh, his, his, his messages are full of scripture, full of hope, just anchored, you know, anchored in the gospel. And so, um, so we're going to hear a, a message today that is entitled The Knock at Midnight. And this message was delivered on August 9th, 1964 at Riverside Church in New York City, so, so very close to here. This, I think this was, a, this was a, as I researched this a little bit, this was a message that he preached a number of times. Uh, I, and, uh, and, and the thing that you'll, you'll hear uh, as we get into this is even though it was done almost 60 years ago, it's super relevant for where we are right now. The issues that he's addressing are very similar to the issues that we're all dealing with right now. So, without further ado, here is the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Well, I don't think of uh, love as, uh, in this context, as emotional bosh. I don't think of it as uh, a weak force. But I, I think of love as something strong and that organizes itself into powerful uh, direct action. Now, this is what I try to teach in the struggle in the South, that uh, we are not engaged uh, in a struggle that means we sit down and do nothing. Uh, that there's a great deal of difference between non-resistance 
to evil and nonviolent resistance. Uh, non-resistance leaves you and uh, leaves you in a state of stagnant passivity and deadened complacency. Wherein nonviolent resistance means that you do resist in a very strong and determined manner. I come this morning to try to preach, and preach I shall. I would like for all of us to think for a moment on the subject, A Knock at Midnight. Our text this morning is taken from one of the familiar parables of our Lord and Master found in the 11th chapter of the Gospel as recorded by St. Luke. It begins in the fifth verse, and it reads as follows. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the doors are now shut, my children are in bed with me, I cannot Rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is a friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this is a parable dealing with the power of persistent prayer. And you know the parables were always told to get over one basic thought, but you can usually find in every parable of Jesus great facets of thought not intended as the main point. And as I look at this parable, I see within it a basic outline and a basic guide in dealing with the many problems that we face and confront in our nation today and the role of the church. Now, the first thing we must notice in this parable is that it is midnight. It is also midnight in our world today, and we are experiencing a darkness so deep that we can hardly see which way to turn. It is midnight, midnight in the social order. Now, the Middle East has been in the headlines over the last few days, but it should not cause us to forget that there's another war it's a futile and bloody, costly war taking place on Asian soil. And as we look over to Vietnam, what do we see? We see rice fields of a little Asian country being burned at will and trampled at whim. We see innocent peasants and little children being burned with napalm. Then we see the fine young men of our country dying in mountain numbers. And all of this is indicative of the fact that it is midnight. You see, the nations of the world are engaged in a bitter and tragic contest for supremacy. And you see, the real danger is that if we don't change our course in this world with all the modern weapons of warfare, we will see they will conspire to give us an untimely death across the globe. The late President Kennedy was right when it said, mankind must put an end to war, war will put an end to mankind. Not only is it midnight in man's collective life, but it's midnight in his individual life. It is midnight in the psychological order. P 
People are more worried, more frustrated, more bewildered today than in any period in human history. And so many of us find that the clouds of anxiety are floating in our mental skies. The psychopathic wards are full. And who are the popular psychologists today? They are the psychoanalysts who delve into the inner chambers of our subconscious. What are the popular books? Well, the bestsellers in religion today are books entitled Peace of Mind, Peace of Soul. And who are the popular preachers? Well, they so often are those preachers who will preach nice little soothing sermons on how to be happy, how to relax, how to keep your blood pressure down. <laughs> it's been such that the gospel's been retranslated to read, go into all the world and keep your blood pressure down, and lo, I will make you a well-adjusted personality. All of this is indicative of the fact that it is midnight in the psychological order. Not only that, it's midnight in the moral order. You see, midnight is a time when all the colors lose their distinctiveness. Everything becomes merely a dirty shade of gray. In that sense, the moral order, midnight is a time when all moral values lose their distinctiveness. So in our world today, for so many people, there's nothing absolutely right and nothing absolutely wrong. It's just a matter of the majority of what people are doing. And over and over again, we see that most people live by philosophy. Everybody's doing it, so it must be all right. It's midnight in the moral order. And you know, midnight is a time when uh, everybody is just trying to get by. And this is exactly what we have done so often. We have ended up with our ethical relativism, feeling that the only right thing is to get by, and the only wrong thing is to get caught. And so today, we don't talk about the Darwinian survival of the fittest. That was a theory that came along, but for us, it's a philosophy, the survival of the slickest. Nobody's concerned about obeying the Ten Commandments. In so many instances, they are not important. Everybody's busy trying to obey the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not get caught. According to this tragic philosophy, it's all right to lie, but just lie with a bit of finesse. It's all right to exploit and rob, just be a dignified exploiter. So that when you do it, it becomes embezzlement rather than just stealing. It's all right to hate. But dress your hate in the garments of love and make it appear that you're loving when in actuality you're hating. Just get by. This tragic moral laxity, this tendency to get caught up in the chains of conformity is destroying the soul of our nation and the soul of the world and so many individuals. We find ourselves today standing in the midst of a threefold midnight. It's midnight in the social order. It's midnight in the psychological order. It's midnight in the moral order. But as in the parable, so in our world today, the deep darkness of midnight is interrupted by a knock. The parable talked about this man seeking three loaves of bread. That's physical bread. In our world today, men and women are in search 
for three loaves of spiritual bread. They want the bread of faith. So many people have lost faith in themselves. They've lost faith in their neighbors. They've lost faith in God. And in the midst of this faithlessness, they find themselves crying out, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. They want the bread of faith. Then there's a quest for the bread of hope. Everybody needs this bread. Everybody wants it. When you stop hoping, you die. And yet so many people have lost hope today. They feel they have nothing to look forward to. So many young people have lost hope. They have become cynical. They see all the problems of this world. So many young men feel there's nothing to look forward to life. Even on the battlefield, giving one's life may be something, but it's futile. And they look around the world and they lose hope and people find themselves crying with Shakespeare's Macbeth. That life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. So many find themselves crying with the philosopher Schopenhauer. That life is an endless pain with a painful end. So many find themselves crying out with Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Across the bread, a corner to sleep in, a minute to smile, an hour to weep in, a point of joy, a peck of trouble, never to laugh that the moans come double, that is life. In the midst of this hopelessness, men and women reach out for the bread of hope, and then there's a quest for the bread of love. Everybody needs the bread of love. And we need this love in two ways. We need to learn how to love because love and lack thereof is a great issue of mankind today. There's still too much hatred around. More than anything else, we have to learn how to love in America. The white man must love the black man and the black man must love the white man because we're all tied together in a single garment of destiny. Now we can't keep having these riots every summer in our cities. We can't keep having all these problems all over our nations. Our white brothers must understand that we are too poor and the federal government has enough money to get rid of the slums and poverty and get rid of these conditions that make for the rise. There's no point in continuing to make up excuses our white brothers have got to come to see one thing. We are in America and we are here to stay. We're going to have to learn to live together. In this country, there are 22 million Negroes that we have counted. Uh, that's what the census says. But they don't take under consideration that when the census man came, a great deal of Negroes ran thinking it was a bill collector. That gets us to at least 30 million Negroes in America, and we're here to stay. Our white brothers have got to learn to live with us. But now, Negro church and our anger and our response to the oppression, we must, you know, not turn around and do the same thing. You see, you never solve one problem of tyranny by substituting a new tyranny. You see, a doctrine of black supremacy is as evil as a doctrine of white supremacy. God is not interested merely in freeing the black man, the brown man, the yellow man, but God is interested in freedom for the whole human race. The creation of society where all men will live together as brothers 
and every man will respect the dignity, the worth of human personality. And the one way that every man would be able to do this is to remember that one word, that one word that Jesus talked about so often, and that word is love. And so it is midnight in the hour of our world. It's midnight in our nation. I see men and women by the thousands running toward the church of God, trying to get bread, trying to get the bread of faith, the bread of hope, the bread of love. Now, go on with me a little further. If you remember, when that man knocked on the door, the man on the inside said in substance, don't bother me, for I'm busy. My children are in bed, and I'm engaged in something else. Don't worry me. So the man from the within said to the man on the outside, I have to leave you disappointed in the hour of your greatest need. All my friends here in this great church, I come to you this morning having to honestly admit that the church has often left men and women disappointed at the greatest hour of need. They left them disappointed when they needed bread the most. I stood in Westminster Abbey not long ago in London, that great cathedral of a church, and I had a marvelous experience on the one hand. One cannot help but be moved by the beauty of the architecture with all of its gothic outpourings. But on the other hand, I had a sad experience because I had to remember that there was a day when they could honestly say that the sun never set on the British Empire. They could say that because more than 785 million of God's children were dominated by the British Empire. And the Church of England never took a stand against the colonialism. And I stood there in Westminster Abbey over the tombs of kings and queens that had been buried there. And I said to myself, the church can die as a result of the judgment of God, as a result of refusing to stand up against evil. And so often the church has left men and women disappointed at midnight. There are men who stand up in the pulpit and preach every Sunday. I'm talking now about the white preachers. And yet they can look at racial injustice and never open their mouths against it. We would have peace in this world today. We could have peace in this world today if the church would really take a stand against it. And remember, there are almost one billion Christians in the world today. Don't forget that. You see, we've got to go back to the birth of the early church. The early Christians would not fight war. They even stood before Caesar's household and said, no, we will not fight war. Sometimes, because they wouldn't obey the edicts of the Roman Empire, they were thrown into the lion's den. They were thrown on the chopping block, and they went there with a hymn on their lips and praises to God. They often went smiling. Someone would say, what makes you so happy? Is it your ecclesiastical machinery? No. Is it your creedal systems? No. Then what is it? We are happy, we are inspired because we love the brethren. That is why we are happy. And Church of God, we need to recapture that. Now, I don't want to sound provincial and say that all the problems are in the just so-called white church. The Negro church has often left men and women disappointed at midnight as well. You see, there are two basic types of Negro churches that leave men disappointed at midnight. 
One uh, freezes up and the other burns up. Now, the one that freezes up is that church, you know, that says it's a dignified church. And um, the preacher preaches a nice little essay on Sunday. Uh, he's really afraid to get into his sermons and say it like he really means it and believes it. And then the choir is afraid to sing with meaning and power. They don't sing Negro spirituals and gospel songs because that reminds them of their heritage. So they're busy, you know, they're, they're ashamed of being black. They're ashamed of their ancestral home in Africa. And so they go on trying to build a church that has no relationship whatsoever with their past. And of course, they boast about their members. They go on to tell you that if you go there, we have so many doctors. Yes, we have so many lawyers, uh, so many teachers, so many businessmen. And of course, it's good for all these people to be in church. It's, it's good for professionals to engage in church. But they say it as if the others don't matter. They say it as if uh, the people who didn't go on to be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, just don't count. Now, there's another church that burns up. Now, this is a church that has emphasis on muscularity rather than spirituality. In this kind of church, people have more religion in the hands and the feet than they have in the hearts and the souls. In this church, sometimes even the pastor doesn't prepare in a sermon to preach. He just depends on his voice and volume, not content. And the people leave on Sunday and they say, you know, we had a great service today and that preacher, he just preached. Then somebody else will come along and say, well, what did he say? And they say, I don't know what he said, but he preached this morning. <laughs> you see, uh, the danger of this kind of church is that people make God and religion irrelevant. It becomes merely emotionalism. Now, religion, when it's real, is emotional as well as intellectual, meaningful, respectful. But it is emotional. But the danger of this kind of religion is that the pastor and the members will have what Paul called a zeal for God not according to knowledge. In the scripture that I read, it says, love the Lord thy God with all of our heart, but it says, with all of my mind as well. See, the other type of danger in this church is that everybody involved becomes so caught up and irrelevant that they will not be concerned about the day-to-day -day problems. It seems that I can hear the God of the universe saying, don't play with me, don't play with my people. Seems I could hear the God of the universe speaking to the Negro church, to the white church, and he's also saying to my people, they're hungry, they're in need of bread, don't play with me. When they come knocking at midnight, provide it for them. And if you don't do that, I won't hear your beautiful anthems. You can preach eloquent sermons, you can pray your powerful prayers, but I won't hear any of it because your hands are full of blood. The thing I'm concerned about is, will you let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream? And if you want to know what it is that I require of you, it's simply this, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. This is what I require of thee. We must never leave men and women disappointed at midnight. Come on with me a little further. I'm about to close out 
But there are one or two other things I want to say. You see, the interesting thing is that after that man knocked on the door, the man on the inside didn't open the door, but the man on the outside kept knocking. The passage uses a big word, importunity. Importunity means persistence, perseverance. It means, you know, to keep on keeping on. It means staying with it. And it says the man just kept knocking. Now, if you'd allow me to use my imagination a minute, I'll tell you why I believe this man kept knocking. You see, because he realized there was some bread in that house. You see, if he thought for one minute that there wasn't any bread in that house, he wouldn't have stayed around there. He would have moved on to the next house. But deep down inside, he knew there was some bread in that house. You know what? This is what we need to hear this morning. As a church, we need to know that there's bread in our house. Now, I want to leave you with this, and I want to say that all the members here at this great church, you have the bread of life. Keep the bread fresh. Don't let it get stale because somebody is coming by here trying to find a little bread. Some young man disillusioned about life is going to be coming by here one day to get the bread of faith, to get the bread of hope, to get the bread of love. Keep the bread fresh. Some young person who has made a mistake in life caught up with tragic guilt and these feelings will come by here one day and he's going to be looking for some bread. Somebody who's made a mistake, some young person who tried to drown the guilt by finding answers elsewhere. They tried to find it in the nightclub, but they didn't find it there. They tried to find it in excessive drink. They didn't find it there. They tried to find it in sex and promiscuity. They didn't find it there. But one day they're coming by here wanting the bread of forgiveness. And you've got to keep the bread fresh enough to let them know that there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. Keep the bread fresh. One day, some old person is going to be coming by here. Someone who has gone through the morning of childhood, the noon of adulthood, and now they are moving toward the evening of life. They are worried about bad health. They are worried about death. They're going to need a little bread to tie them over. One day they're coming by, so you got to keep the bread fresh, fresh enough to let them know that they don't have to worry about death if they love God. Keep the bread fresh enough to let them know that death is not a period which ends the great sentence of life, but it's a comma which punctuates it to a more lofty existence. Keep the bread fresh enough to let them know that death is not a blind alley that leads the human race into a state of nothingness, but an open door that leads men into life eternal. Keep the bread fresh enough to cry with the Apostle Paul. I'm persuaded that neither life nor death, angels nor principalities, things present nor things to come can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Keep the bread fresh. I'm coming on home now, but I don't want to sit down for fear you may go away despondent. I've talked about the midnight hour. I've talked about the darkness. My last point is that the man who knocked on the door was just trying to get enough bread to tie him over until dawn. He knew that morning would come. 
And I want to leave you this morning letting you know that however dark it may seem, morning will come. I'm not worried about tomorrow. There's a pendulum swinging in life, I guess. It goes between darkness and light, midnight and morning. And for our slave parents, they taught us through their beautiful sorrow songs, one of which you sang so beautifully this morning. They looked at the midnight surrounding their days, and they knew that there was sorrow and agony and hurt all around them. When they thought about midnight, they would sing, Nobody Knows the trouble I see, nobody knows but Jesus. But pretty soon something reminded them that the morning would come and they start to sing, I'm so glad that trouble don't last always. This is it, my friends. I get kind of disillusioned about the race problem. I get kind of worried about Alabama. I get kind of worried about Georgia. And I get worried about all these other places. I get worried about the white backlash. But then I'll go back to Alabama and I hear a voice that says to me that God has not yet turned over his world to Governor Wallace. I can hear another voice saying the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Morning will come. Centuries ago, Jeremiah, the great prophet, raised a very profound question. He looked at the inequities around and he noticed a lot of things. He noticed that the good people so often were suffering and the evil people so often were prospering. And Jeremiah raised the question, is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Centuries later, our slave four pounds came along and they too confronted the problems of life. They had nothing to look forward to morning after morning but the sizzling heat, the raw hide whip of the overseer, long rows of cotton, but they did an amazing thing. They looked back across time, across the centuries, and they took Jeremiah's question mark and they straightened it up into an exclamation point. They could sing, there is a bomb in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a bomb in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. Now, I've got to be honest this morning with you all. Sometimes I feel discouraged. I don't mind telling you this morning that I feel discouraged as I move about dealing with the race problem. I feel discouraged having to live every day under the threat of death. There are times I feel discouraged living with all kinds of abuse criticism and misunderstandings. I feel discouraged sometimes, but I go back to the words of the song as I feel discouraged and I feel my work is in vain and something rises in me and it's the Holy Spirit that revives me and says, there is a bomb in Gilead. And so then I sing another song and as I sing this song, I sing, I've seen the lightning flash, I've heard the thunder roll, I've felt sin's breakers dashing to conquer my soul, but I heard the voice of Jesus saying, never alone will I leave you, never alone will I leave you, never alone, thanks be to God Almighty. All right, well, I have nothing to add to that at all. Um, though we can, hopefully, listen, I've been working on this for three years. We're trying to get Charles to come out like method, like in a, having like a thin black tie. He's just, so we'll all just hope that next year that, uh, that he'll have the tie on. Um, 
I think the thing that, that was just to me was so striking about, about this message um, was just how relevant it is to where we are right now. How much, you know, things have, over the last 60 years, things have changed, but things haven't changed. The human condition, the fallen human condition is still the same. And, and this, um, this, this midnight that, that, that Dr. King talked about, midnight in the social order, we're seeing that. Midnight in the psychological order, we're seeing that. Midnight in the moral order. And what, was, what struck me is just for us to remember as, as the Church of Jesus Christ, because what we believe here, what I believe with all my heart, is that the church is the hope of the world. As the world is like experiencing midnight, the church is the hope of the world. And it's not because the church has their act together. Or it's not because the church has incredible leaders. Or the church is the hope of the world because the church is the one institution, the one organization that's been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is the hope of the world. And as we, as we live in this world that, that where people are experiencing midnight, I just, I just love that reminder of the bread that we've been given, and the bread has to be fresh. That we need, that people are, people are hungry for the bread of faith. People are, are hungry for, for the bread of love, and, and people are, are hungry especially for the, for the bread of hope. And so uh, as we, as a church, as we proclaim the gospel, and as we try to you know, continue to see the gospel come, and not only see individuals saved and individuals set free, but see institutions reformed and see justice happen and see you know the poor lifted up and the oppressed set free because that's what happens when the gospel comes as we're committed to that that we would just be reminded that that we have that Jesus is the bread of life and that if we lift Jesus up what he says is I will draw all men to myself and so what I want to how I want to end this right now we're going to do like a time of ministry and some different things but I, this, this whole idea of, of Jesus being the bread of life, because one of the verses that I, that I love, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, is where it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so, so right now in your life, whether you're someone who's, you know, you've been following Jesus for years, or maybe you're brand new to this, or whatever, wherever, wherever you land, we're all hungry, right? We're all experiencing midnight in kind of various ways in our life. And so where do you need the bread of life. Where do you need the bread? Where are you like knocking on a door at midnight? Because you're in need. Because there's something that you need. And so let's just close our eyes right now. Just kind of where you can just, you don't have to stand, just kind of where you're, where you're seated. And think about your need right now. Think about where you're hungry. Think about where you need the bread of life. Where you're experiencing midnight. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's here. And he's here that we might have life and have it to the full. And so, Lord, I thank you, God, that you have given us your gospel. We thank you, Lord, that you are the hope of the world. And you're our hope. And so, God, I just pray right now that wherever we're hurting, wherever we're hopeless, wherever we're discouraged, Whatever it is that's going on in our life right now that's like getting us, you know, walking up and down the street trying to find some bread in the middle of the night. God, we look to you right now in Jesus' name. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you come right now and that you would give faith. I think there's some people right now that you're just, you're discouraged. There's just stuff going on. It's hard. 
And you need, you need God to give you right now a gift of faith. I pray for those right now who, who need hope. That as we kind of look into 2023 and look what's coming, there just isn't, there just isn't hope. There's just discouragement. You are the God of hope. And so, Lord, we look to you right now. And I think even some of you right now, you're just even like feeling this thing of just God right now, just filling you with some hope. All of a sudden, just filling you with what you need. And God, I pray that right now, God, you would give us the, the bread of love. Lord, that we would know that we know that we know that you see us, that you're for us, that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Maybe there's somebody here right now and you feel forsaken. You feel alone. And I just want to tell you, you are not alone. Jesus has promised. And his pro every, every promise is yes and amen. And he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm going to be with you until the very end. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just manifest, that you reveal your presence right now. So come, Holy Spirit. And Lord God, I just pray too, God, that, Lord, as we remember and think about all the injustice that's in this world, Lord, the racism and the oppression and the poverty and just the inhumanity and the cruelness and just all the things that happen in this broken world, God, we just, we pray, God, we look to the day, Lord Jesus, when you come and you, and you set your foot upon this earth and you bring your kingdom and you make everything new and you wipe every tear from every eye. But Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, God, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And God, we pray that your justice, God, would come. God, we pray that your hope would come. We pray, Lord, that you would set the captives free, God, that chains would come off. And Lord, we just want to say that we, as, as your church, God, as part of your church, part of your body, that we would be committed, God, to your cause. And we'd be committed, God, to the freedom that, that only you could bring. That we would, because whom the Son has set free is really free. And that we would live in that freedom. And that we'd help bring other people into that freedom for your glory. So God, we just thank you, Lord, for the reminders today. And we thank you, Lord, for the bread that's available for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to, let's have the, the, uh, the ushers, we get ready to pass the baskets. What we're going to do is um, we've got baskets that are underneath all the chairs here on this last row over here. So if you just get your basket, pass it down, <clears throat> put your connection card uh, in the basket, um, put your, if you have an offering envelope, you want to put it in the basket, you can do that as well. Uh, the prayer ministry team got together before this service. And they asked God, they said, God, what specific things do you want to do in people's lives? And so here's a couple things that they heard. Uh, they, they had this sense, this is kind of heavy, but that there's somebody, somebody who came here today, like you're really in a dark place. Like things are really, not just kind of like hard, but like, like really bad. And that God sees, God sees what's going on. God sees your desperation and that you're not here by accident and he wants to minister to you. And, and if you're in that place, we're going to have some people, they're going to come up here in a moment and they're going to be ready to pray for you. Let, let somebody pray for you. Don't, don't leave here without, without laying down your burden, like that song that we sang, laying down your burden at the feet of Jesus. Uh, they had a sense that, that there's someone here that you've been, you have problems hearing out of your right ear. And they, they just had the sense that God wants to heal you. 
And so come on up and let somebody pray. But Jesus said, we don't have because we don't ask. And so, so ask and let's see what God's going to do. Um, they had a sense here that, um, that someone is dealing with a very difficult situation at home. Uh, just a lot of heaviness, really difficult, kind of intractable. You don't know how to, how to get through that. And so God wants to minister to you. Someone who's here, you have a business, but things are rough. And so you come in with a lot of, like a lot of burdens with your just financial hardships. Uh, and then, um, and then they had a, finally they had a sense of someone, a young man specifically, that you sense that you have a call from the Lord. You just have been feeling like God has something for you specifically, and you just don't know what to do with that. And so let's all, let's stand for a moment. And so if any of those, if any of those words resonate with you and you want prayer, we got people up here, we got more people who are going to come up and they're just going to pray for you as we close the service. If you need healing for any reason, we'd love to pray for you. Um, even if there's, you know, even as far as what we're talking about this weekend, if there's ways of, of just, of just responding to the oppression, the injustice, and wanting to see the kingdom of God come and, and make the difference that, that only God can make through you. We'd love to, we'd love to pray for you, for, for God to use you as an instrument of his peace. Whatever, whatever your needs are this morning, we'd love to pray for you. So God, we just bless your presence here. God, we pray that you'd fill us with your love, fill us with your bread, fill us with your life, that we would glorify you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So come on up, get some prayer. Uh, if not, God bless you guys. Have a great week, and we will see you soon.